millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to History Rage, the podcast where we invite the history community to get furious about their particular pet peeves. The podcast where myth and misconception just step outside, and they may be some time. I am your regular host, Paul Bavel, and I am here with my ever-loyal co-host and man who came in from the cold, Kyle Glover. Hello! And this week, dear ragers, we are diving back into the Edwardian period and the bleak race against Norwegians, that is, the Scott Expedition. But because we don't like the cold, we're keeping this very much focused on the home fires. And guiding us on this journey and its aftermath, we welcome historian, heritage consultant, and author of Widows of the Ice, Anne Fletcher. Anne, welcome to History Rage. Hello, thank you very much for having me. Good, welcome, welcome aboard. It's, it's, been, it's been a struggle to get you, but we've got you. <laughs> so, um, feeling angry? I could get, there's a few things I could get peeved about, I think. Good. Good. You're in the right place. Good. So you've come to us from, from Amberley Publishing, uh, along with a few of your uh, published colleagues as well. But prior to that, our paths haven't crossed. So would you give our audience out there a guide to you, your background, yep. and, and how you came to be involved with kind of tonight's subject matter? Yeah, sure. Well, I'm a, I'm a historian, read history at university. And then I spent the last 30 years working in heritage. So my job's been how do you explain history to visitors of all sorts of different kinds. And I tended to end up in palaces, cathedrals and castles. So very niche, but that's been my sort of career. And I wrote my mm. first book in 2018, which is a family story about my ancestor who broke the Bank of Monte Carlo. That's another story. Um, and I was looking for a subject for the second book. And I began to think about when I, because I, read history at university in the 80s mm. and when I thought about women because I thought I must write about women this time read about men the first time I couldn't think of a single time that a woman had been mentioned in my entire three years at university other than Queen Victoria Elizabeth I obviously the wives of Henry VIII the odd woman in the background but really hardly anybody at all and it, you know it's the history of great yeah. men we all know this this has been how history has mm. been taught for decades 
So I began to think that all those big moments in history that we've been taught about, I thought, well, how little do we know? I don't, I don't know if um, these, some of these people were married. I don't know if they had children. And I focused pretty quickly on the Scott expedition because my dad had told me about that a lot. We've got mm. um, Oates family members. So Captain Oates was probably the most famous member of that expedition. We've got Oates as a surname in our family. So I was brought up with this idea that we might be distantly related. And what I thought about yeah. that, I know absolutely nothing about. I don't even know if Scott was married. No, obviously there was a, I knew about Peter Scott, his son. I didn't know anything about had he actually been married, how long, who, nothing about the others. So I set out to try and get to the bottom of this and to see if actually by finding about the women, would that change the yeah. story? Hmm. That, now that is, that, that's quite a unique way of, way of, going about things i think because most people would zero in on you know they, this is an important woman who, who who you know changed history or did did something first or, or anything like that it reminds me very much of uh hallie rubenhold and her quest for the, the yeah. victims of jack the ripper and it's like stop thinking about them as corpses and start thinking about them as women exactly. and just opened up a whole new fascinating light so well we're going to be uh we're going to be digging into that uh, tonight so 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 should we kick off into this subject then by uh, our regular rage question which i know i've just thrown you with so what is it what is, what is the one thing that you wish people w- would just either stop believing or just change their mind over i think well when you look at what's called the heroic age of exploration which is this edwardian period when dominated in this country by scott and shackleton Obviously, you've got Amundsen mm-hmm. people in other countries, but you know this this idea that these men happily strode out into the wilderness and died, you know, to do a great thing for their country, and you know they were sons of empire, of course, and this, you know, but the idea that this was, you know, this is what they wanted to do, they were quite happy to die and and do this wonderful thing, which of course, when you start to look at their, you know, it's it's a nonsense to think of these these are not as people, but just as these sort of cut out heroes that mm. you chuck out into these environments. And it's a nonsense. And I think out of that has come this elevation of Scott and Shackleton in particular onto these pedestals and this ridiculous yeah. rivalry between, you know, if you like Scott, you have to hate Shackleton. If you like Shackleton, you've got to hate Scott. When there's so much more to this story, there's so much more to their relationship and what they achieved, but also there's so much more to them. They were people. They were husbands. They were fathers. They were sons. And when you start to look at them in that light, changes everything i think so um i mean to be fair it's this is not my area of expertise in the least i'm i i am so new to this i didn't even know that i had to hate shackleton if i quite like you you see you try that next mention one of them and you'll find five or six people who put their hands up and say they tell you what's wrong with them i could understand hating amundsen if you like scott that that would i get um, but I, you know, I would struggle to name the members of the expedition beyond, say, Scott and Oates. Yeah. Uh, let alone the families of them. Uh, so, so what can you tell us about them as men, the families, the widows of the explorers? I mean, what sort of class and society are they operating in? Who are they? Okay. Well, you, so obviously when, when these expeditions went, there were an awful lot of people on the expedition. But it, but the real action comes down to who is going to go on the on the polar, the actual attempt to reach the South Pole. 
So you have 30 on, mm. you know, 30 on people arriving, but in the end, in this case, it's five who get chosen. So Scott, four other people. So, um, we'll come back to Scott in a minute, but he chooses his lead surgeon, who's his best friend, Ted Wilson. He chooses a Scott called, um, Birdie Bowers, who's just a, a really fantastic trooper and, you know, master of all trades. Uh, he, and he chooses Captain Oates, who is the other one, as you say, everyone knows Captain Oates because of how he dies. Yep. And he chooses Edgar Evans. And the difference, so the important thing about Edgar Evans is he's the only working class member of that group. He's Welsh. Working class, career Navy man, joined the Navy when he was 15. All the others, middle class or upper middle class. So there's a massive yeah. difference. And of course, that's what you get in the Navy, isn't it? You'd expect that. But that becomes important, I think, for the women later because there's a lot of blame and things cast around afterwards. And that, a lot of that comes down to class. Hmm. So if we if we're looking at the the, the golden age of explorers, because again, my my layman's input is there's you know there, there's this bloke before he gets racked with scurvy goes South Pole, it's there. I'm going to go to it, and, the, and there you are. What are the reasons for this expedition? Yeah, to to be blunt, what was the point? <laughs> yeah, what 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 they do? What they're thinking? What was the thinking? Well, I suppose. Well, it's hard. To, well, I suppose what you've got to do is get yourself back in the Edwardian imperial mindset. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. discovering things is really important, you know, because the empire is not about conquering, is it? It's about sharing our knowledge and expertise and discovery and improving things. That's how they're beginning to. Yeah, that's how they're trying to see it. So, discovering this is really important. So, there's not many bits of the world left that haven't been explored or discovered or at least made inroads into. So Antarctica, Antarctica is the big, you know, that's the place that nobody's got to. And there's expeditions from all sorts of countries all over Europe. They're sending expeditions. You know, the Belgians are going, the Norwegians are going. It's not just Britain. So everybody's mm. after this prize of, of getting there and finding out. And, of course, it's a place where it, it promises scientific discovery. You know, they're going to learn about the weather. They're perhaps going to learn about, you know, th there's going to be fossils there of plants that tell us something about how the climate's changed. There's all sorts of sort of scientific rewards as well that it's promising. So it's a combination of those things. It's about, it's about empire and discovery. And it's also, of course, a little bit about getting there first. Yeah. There, there's got to be a prestige yeah. thing. I mean, we are, we are talking the Edwardians exactly. here, aren't we? Exactly. They're only slightly less obsessed with the Victorians. Yeah, exactly. And I suppose when you think about it, all the five men that are going, given the ages of them, they are actually Victorians, aren't they? they? Are. I mean, they were brought up in Victorian they are. They're society. Absolute sons of empire. You know, they are, with the exception of Edgar, they are, you know, public school, into the navy or into Crete. You know, they are, these are people, they are proud to be sons of empire. And this is a crucial part of that is this idea that you're going to go out and discover new things for king and country yeah so in terms of in terms of families then you know who's married what sort of family and social arrangements are, are they leaving behind so of the five who set out to go to the pole three are married so that's the three women that i focused on so the scots mm -hmm. wife kathleen and kathleen is a sort of upper middle class but quite impoverished family she's the youngest of 11 children 
She loses her mother when she's quite young and she's utterly bohemian. She just, she doesn't want to be, you know, she's expected to be a teacher or look after children. She runs off to Paris to become an artist and she studies <laughs> with Rodo. And she, she loves what she calls, um, well, vagabonding, she calls it. She likes sleeping outside. She likes, you know, sleeping on balconies, doesn't like sleeping in bedrooms, likes to travel all over the place. So she's a real utterly bohemian. So totally different, different really to our view of Scott as this sort of straight laced upper. And they absolutely love each other. He loves that about her. And she loves his bravery and his heroism. And they're really well matched quite mo in modern terms, what you would expect. They're a proper mm. team, those two. And then you've got Edward Wilson, who's the doctor who is much more your typical sort of, again, upper middle class, but but stiff upper lip sort of Edwardian guy. And his wife is um, sort of does what is required of her. You know, he sort of says what he'd like and she falls in lines, much as you would expect a good Edwardian wife to be. So he, mm -hmm. within three weeks of their marriage, says, well, I'm going off now to Antarctica on Scott's first expedition. And she can't really say anything. So she has to say, oh, okay, fine. You know, see you in three years. Isn't that just the Edwardian way? That is the Edwardian <laughs> way. Right. Your husband of three weeks says, I'm off for three years, see you. And you have to say, okay, fine, if that's what you want, if that'll make you happy. So there's <laughs> a much more, you know, probably a arrangement of the, you know, that'd be other so she is utterly devoted to him uh, and whatever he mm. wants, she'll sort of fall in line with. And then you've got Edgar and Lois, who are the, you know, the working class couple. They are cousins. They grew up in the Gower, remote from everything. Uh, they get married when he goes on the first expedition as well. So all these men are already on the first expedition before they go off on the second one. And she marries him. He's a hero when he comes back locally. She marries him. They have five years together and three children. And then he gets the chance to go on this expedition. And his view is, I'll be famous when I get back because we're going to get there first. And that will bring us money. We'll be financially secure and I won't have to go away again. That's his view. So you get that difference. The two middle class that have got, you know, the Scott and Wilson are, is very much about let's achieve this thing, this great thing. And Edgar, mm. yeah, but I'm going to do it because I want to make my family secure. And it's, there's a slightly different motive there. Yeah. There is the, there's that element of, you know, I do this and we're, we're set for life. Yes. Basically we, yeah. We, we we change on that. We join the very upper middle classes that, or at least that's in the thinking, because in reality, it never works. No, out. Exactly, and it's it's so it's about money and, and all of that. But of course, he also wants to get there first because they all, you know, you can't ignore yeah. the fact they all want to get there first. Because who wouldn't? What's the point if you don't actually try and get there first? So it's it's a complicated set of motives. But for him, there's definitely that financial one as well. Hmm. Are they all kind of career navy men? No. Well. Scott, yes, Scott is. So Scott and Edgar both join the Navy as quite young men. Um, mm. Wilson isn't. Wilson's a doctor. He qualifies as a doctor and he has a, a lot of health problems when he's at Cambridge and growing up and has tuberculosis and they think he's going to die. And he, it suggested to him that going off to Antarctica and the cold might help. So, you know, and he gets this off. Did nobody ever say the words, you'll catch your you'll death? Catch your death. Well, if they did, we don't know, but they should have done. So he, you know, there's health reader. He decides, oh, yeah, mm. this is why he decides three weeks after his marriage. And he gets this, there's all sorts of reasons why he quite fancies this, but that's one of them. 
health reasons, scientific discovery. He's a great artist. So all of those things, he wants to get out there, sketch, discover things, have an adventure. The fact that he's only been married for mm. three weeks doesn't seem to, doesn't really seem to be a massive factor in it. Mm. Um, and then Edgar's our other married chaps. He he's not Navy either. No, is he? he is. So yes. he joins. Oh, he yeah, he joins the Navy at fifteen. Goes away to sea, and then when he comes, you know, late, it, it, then he sort of he comes back and marries his cousin, and and he's he's set for life that he's going to that is going to be his career as, mm. a, as a sailor. Um, but he sees this. He's very loyal to Scott. So say he went on the first expedition, he wants to go on the second. So there's a whole loyalty thing there as well. But yeah, he's. He is, he's a proper Jack Tar, as you would call him. You know, lives yeah. it up in the, drinks a bit too much, lives it up in the ports, does all the stuff you'd expect of a sort of Victorian Edwardian sailor. Okay. And then the other two that are on the expedition, the, the unmarried yeah. chaps, you know, what, what's their, what's, what's their background? So Birdie Bowers is Merchant Navy and Captain Oates is the, in the entire group of men that go up there, is the only one who's in the army. And uh, right, Birdie is Birdie is useful because he proves to be an extremely efficient organizer of stores and equipment, and he's a you know really good workhorse, really really excellently useful member of the team. One of the main reasons that that Scott relies on him. And Oates comes with this tremendous knowledge because he's a cavalry officer. He was in the um, South African wars and was won a medal and was wounded. So he's this very glamorous sort of figure, but knows more about mm. horses. And of course, they decide that they're going to rely quite a lot on horses. And we're not going to go there because there's, that is a whole other debate about horses <laughs> and stages. And one I'm not qualified to argue, but that, if you bring that up with anyone about, you know, Scotland horses, Shackleton and horses, sledges, all of that malarkey, but he knew about horses. He was the only one who really knew how to handle them. And so Scott had the sense to realize, you know, that is going to be very useful, having somebody who knows how to pick them and feed them and look after them. As it turned out, I had to shoot them, but that's another matter. Yeah, she always get this impression with the Scott expedition that it was somewhat foolhardy based on its aftermath. But 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 they really have thought carefully mm. about this. They know what they're doing. They're they're, they're going out. With everything that they need to to achieve their goal, yeah. And Shackleton had gone. I mean, this is the, the one we're talking about. Uh, they leave in um, in in nineteen ten. This final expedition. Shackleton had been out a few years before, and Scott's actually doing very much what Shackleton did, even following a similar route. But Shackleton used the horses as well as dogs, and and actually Scott goes out with some newfangled. Uh, sledges which are powered by um i forget whether they're what they're powered by but I mean a mechanical sledges so absolute sort of cutting edge stuff which fail very quickly and prove to be completely incompatible with the the surroundings mm. no he's not going out it's very it's his second time you know he spends they are you know he's had conversations with um with nansen who's a you know one of the greatest explorers another norwegian you know he's been out and, and met him and he's had there's been conversations with people that it's not not planned but there's a number mm. of circumstances things that that are unforeseen which contribute to a number of factors which contribute to this terrible outcome so to return to the home front sort of as it were um what are the wives doing what is 
what is the life of a Victorian or Edwardian explorer's wife actually like? And how does that differ from, say, a regular Navy officer's life? So, well, probably not that different because it's really waiting. You can't yes. do anything else because, you know, you can't be texting, you can't be waiting for emails. There's no contact for very long periods of time. So all you can do is wait. And uh, if you've got children, obviously, you're going to be occupied with that. So Scott's wife, Kathleen, has a baby the year before he goes. So she's busy. She's She's got him. She's also a sculptress. So she, she, I suppose, is different. she's occupying her time frantically. She throws herself into every activity she can think of to fill the time. That's what she does. Um, Wilson's wife is the one who really waits because she's all she wants is to get him back and to start all the sort of preparations with the scientific stuff and all the things that she wants to help him with. And she actually goes out to New Zealand in the hope that he's going to be back after two years. And he isn't. So she stays out, stays in New Zealand quite a lot waiting, but makes friends. And then Lois has got three children under five when he disappears. So, you know, she's got a hands full. And the worst thing that that happens to her is that she, Edgar, in a, in, a, in a moment of sort of bonhomie out, you know, there's a moment when the expedition's in trouble financially. And Scott says, look, you know, who's going to give up their salary because we can't, you know, we need the money. And Edgar just, oh, yeah, you know, Edgar's one of the ones who volunteers to give up his money, which leaves Lois in terrible financial difficulties. And he's not thinking it through. <laughs> he's not thinking about yes. she, she ends up because she's he's left her in, in Portsmouth uh, where they had their sort of accommodation. She has to go back to her family in Wales and has to live with them and is and is really, really hard up. So she's, you know, very different setup. She she is struggling for money. Yes. The other two are. For the others it's a case of filling up time to keep busy and wait for the return. When you mention the money there, mm-hmm. um who's financing this operation? Well, it was all done it it was not so the the first Scott expedition was funded by you know official organisations in Britain who wanted it was it was the official expedition the second one wasn't he he had to raise money so he travelled mm. over and he hated public speaking and all this sort of but then Kathleen went with him quite a lot he travelled all over Britain raising money and getting donations so most of it was raised in that way there was a lot of sponsorship so a lot of companies said you know we'll give you you know. Born, I'm making, I can't remember if it is born, born, I'm making like say it is Bourneville cocoa. You know, take our cocoa with you and let's make sure there's plenty of photos in the press. There's a big deal with the with the press organisations um, where he's given money as long as they get the story first because obviously they're anticipating that he's mm-hmm. going to get to the poll first. Nobody knows about Amundsen at this point. You know, so the central news agency says, right, here's this huge amount of money, but the deal is we get to break it. So all the things you'd imagine now, really, sort of crowdfunding, mm. businessmen in Cardiff, who because the expedition leaves from Cardiff, they're recognising they're quite a new city. They're made a city in Edwardian times, you know, and they see they're very entrepreneurial and they see this as a great opportunity. This is leaving from our city. We put money into this and sponsor this and we, you know, we're going to get some of the glory when it comes back. So that's how it's funded. But he leaves, he doesn't have the full amount when he leaves. He's hoping he's going to raise more in South Africa, more in Australia. So it's all a bit hand to mouth. And it does run into financial difficulties. You say that it's like, it's much the way that you do it now. I've got absolutely no idea how I would do that. I, I could barely afford a holiday. You know? 
I'm just going to ask Bourneville to give it. No, I mean, it's more like, I mean, it's like crowdfunding, isn't it? I guess in a way you're saying, do you want to be part of this big thing? And, you know, you can get some publicity from it if you, you know, if you play your cards yeah. right sort of thing. Yeah. Part corporate yeah. sponsorship, part p- Patreon, if you will. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's exactly what it is. Yeah. So then, History Ragers, if you want to send me and Kyle to Antarctica, then you sign up with the Patreon account right away. Oh, yeah, I guess we'll get right on that one, eh? Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So how did, the, how did the news of the death and subsequent then failure of the expedition come out? And, and what was the immediate aftermath for, for the women that they'd left behind? How were they treated by society? You know, the Navy, Cardiff. Well, so the first bit, how did the news get out? And the answer to that is chaotically, I think, is the best way of putting it. So, um, Good answer. <laughs> so there's a plan. The plan is, because obviously what's happening is the ship, the ship doesn't overwinter. The ship goes back, finds out that they're all dead, has to come back to New Zealand and break the news. So there's huge gaps here. So in fact, the news only breaks a year after they die. So they're dead a year really? before anyone else finds out. Yeah. My so, God. Um, and that's because they have to wait for the, art, you know, the, the weather to change before they can go and look for them. So then they find them. Then they have to get back. Then they have to go on board the ship. And then it, so it's a year. So you've got all the, I mean, really heartrending account where the women are writing letters and writing in their diary, you know, oh, well, it'll be, won't be long, we'll be back soon. And we know they're dead. So this is, you know, a terrible thing. And then it gets worse because the plan is, so the guys on board the ship on the Terra Nova say, right, well, obviously what we've got to do here is we've got to make sure the wives and families find out first. So, but they've got this deal with the central news agency that they've got to know first. So they go and they quietly go. They think, well, surely we can send a telegram. We can do that. So they go quietly. So they have to, they have to really keep the ship off the coast of New Zealand. They're not allowed to land it because they know everyone wants to know what's going on. So they have to wait for this embargo. So during the embargo, they slip ashore and, and get and post these telegrams to get to the, the family so that the wives will hear the news. They then come ashore and then all hell lets loose. You know, that's when it's in all the newspapers. So. On the 10th of February, 1913, it's in the papers and it goes across the world rapidly. It's on the front pages everywhere. But none of the wives hear about it first because it all goes horribly wrong, the plans. The telegrams are all sent and for different reasons, none of them arrive. So Kathleen, 
is on a ship in the middle of the ocean on her way to New Zealand to be reunited with Scott. So she misses the telegram. And nine days later, the captain has to break the news to her because they telegram the ship, telegraph the ship, and he has to tell her. And then she's stuck on the ship with everybody else for a few more days. That's her thing. Oriana, who's in New Zealand waiting, rushes down because they know the ship's come in, rushes into Christchurch by train. As she pulls into the train, pulls into the station, which she's been into many times, she gets that sense that something's a bit different. People, there's a hubbub. Hmm. She can hear bells ringing, all sorts of weird things. And then she hears a newspaper hawker shouting Antarctic tragedy. So that's how she finds out on the platform in Christchurch Station. And then Lois, if you could get, could, you couldn't get any worse, Lois, who's had to leave Portsmouth because the money's run out, has gone back to, to Gower. Because Gower is 11 miles from Swansea, but there's no road, so it might as well be Timbuktu. The news is in Swansea on the 10th of February, but she doesn't, she doesn't get it. She doesn't hear about it. So she finds out because all the journalists realise she's the only wife in the country and they all try and track her down. Her telegram's gone to Portsmouth because that's where Edgar thinks she is. So she's completely taken by surprise by journalists turning up on the doorstep and telling her that he's dead and then wanting to interview her. Wow. I, I am speechless. It's awful, isn't it? It's awful. And just to make it even worse, I found photographs in the papers the next day of her two oldest children coming back from school being photographed before they know their father's dead because they haven't got home yet. They've been at school all day. So we think of the press. Yeah, this is this yeah. is vulture stuff. Yeah. Good yeah. grief. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, words absolutely fail it's me. Awful, yeah. Awful. Um, uh, at that point, and uh, and so, you know, was anything done to support these women in the immediate aftermath? Um, it, again, varied a bit. I mean, none of this is malicious. You know, this is. It was. They tried to get the message. These women in time. It went mm. horribly wrong. They, they, well, no, because what happens is really everyone's in chaos because that in back in London, the Royal Geographical Society is trying to fend off their firefighting. Nobody expected this news. Nobody expected, there's nothing, no systems in place. There's nothing. So they're all panicking in London. They're all doing their thing. And nobody really thinks about Lois. I mean, she does get visitors and things, but it's not, there's no sort of sudden, oh, we must look after her. We must protect her. We must give her media training. None of that happens because it's too chaotic. So she's just sort of flung into this. Um, and there is a huge amount of sympathy for them all to start with. But I mean, there is sympathy. So it's not that they're not, they're not ignoring them. They just don't know what to do or they're not thinking to do it. So, um, the women do have to, I mean, there's a lot of attention at a time when they yeah. could have done without it. Yes. So how did they deal with that attention? Imagine every, everyone is going to have an opinion on the expedition, what went right, what went wrong, yeah. who was responsible, that kind of thing. How did they handle that aspect of things? Well, I think Kathleen, because she's Scott's wife, she is the senior wife. You know, she's treated as the senior mm. wife, treated as the person. And because they were as they were, you know, she knew quite a lot about the expedition and have been involved in fundraising and things. So she's an obvious person to go and talk to if you're a journalist or you want, you know, or to hear what she says. So she 
she does talk to the press, but she tries to put a lid on it. You know, she doesn't want to be, she's not interested in being in the press, but she becomes a celebrity. She becomes the focus, you know, the greed. She's like the Jackie Onassis figure. You know, mm. that's, he's got the golden haired yeah. child who's only two or three. So they become the poster woman and boy for the whole thing, you know. So they're on the front pages. Oh my goodness, it's no awful. Oh God, here they are. And oh, all that stuff she gets. She gets all of that. And, um, you know, later on, there's always this slight like feeling that she shouldn't remarry because, again, as like Jack Onassis, you know, somehow you shouldn't really, you're white, you're a widow of a hero. You should, you know, keep yourself in aspect now. But she's, but she really, she, tries to get on with she does get on with her life quite well, but comes out every so often when there's an attack on Scott, which there are now and again, where people might criticise. I mean there's a huge thing to talk about in a minute about Lois, unfortunately. But um, you know, when there is criticism, she'll come straight out and she'll gang up with, with Oriana and they'll come straight out and they'll write to the paper or they'll put an article in and they'll try and close it down and say, We're not hearing this criticism of our men. So they go into legacy protection mode the two of them really for the rest of their lives although they hate each other the two women really yeah, yeah. i forgot to mention that didn't i hmm. yeah he certainly did so yeah why do they hate each other they were awful I mean, they're just totally different characters i'm sure you we all know people you know she's you've got kathleen who's the sort of um in your face creative do what i like you know this is a little bit much for me, so I'm going to go off to, to Switzerland for three. You know, that's her. And then you've got Oriana, who's um, incredibly religious, as in her, as is her husband, believes, I mean, to the extent that God is actually steering their lives and they wait for signs and this. So she, and she terribly dutiful and, you know, must do the right thing. So she thinks Kathleen is a Appalling, this awful person with no sense of responsibility and no sense of duty. And Kathleen thinks Oriana is just boring and a prig. So they're just completely, completely unsuited. And the, their husbands are best friends and assume these two women will be best friends too, but they loathe each other. But they, they, they do shelve that to, to stand up for their respective husbands' legacies. Now and again, very occasionally, and as little as they have to. Yeah. Because they're not friends, yeah. they don't have any. They don't actually spend yeah. time together. So it's, uh, you know, we better do something about this now. It, yeah, and then they will come together and do something. So you mentioned then that there is there there is a story to come on Lois. Yeah, yeah, gets worse. Okay, so as you would imagine, anything any tragedy like this, there's the picking over afterwards, almost instantly, isn't there? You know what went wrong. Mm-hmm. We have, obviously, something terrible went wrong. So. And that's when you get the, you know, should it have been horses? Should it have been dogs? Did somebody pour the fuel away? Did somebody eat too much food? All this stuff goes on. But there's a significant finger of blame pointed at Edgar, Lois's husband. Of course, yeah. you know, can't defend himself. And the reasoning behind this is that Ed- Edgar was the first to die. And the reason that he died first and this again we're going back into our edwardian brain so everything i say now is going to sound absolutely awful but i'm being edwardian now the reason he died first was that he was working class and working class people were weaker physically and mentally than middle class people and that was generally believed so when it comes to something like trudging for days across 
white frozen empty spaces. If you were middle class, you know, you could recite Shakespeare in your head and you could think about Pythagoras and you could, you know, do all that. But Edgar, obviously, being working class, it was completely empty between the ears. So he was just desperately bored and crashed and gave it. So this there's a generally general belief that that's what working class people like, that he didn't even have the mental stamina or the physical stamina to cope, so he died first. Of course, the reason he died first was that he'd, he'd, been, he'd been injured. He had terrible gangrene in his foot. He was well over six foot, so he, I mean, they starved to death and they had no water, so whatever the equivalent of that is, you know, big dehydrated. Yeah. Um, they were malnourished. And he was the biggest and the most muscular, and he felt the effects first, as you do. If you're a very fine specimen, you're the, you get hit by all that stuff first. Plus, he was, he'd injured his foot. So he was the first to go. So unfortunately, you get all this criticism then of saying, well, you know, you shouldn't have picked Edgar. And if it, you know, if they hadn't picked Edgar, they'd all, and the really, really, the bit that really upset me most, I think, in the entire process was when a reporter goes and interviews his mother, Edgar's mother, and sort of tell, you know, rehearses this argument about why. And she actually says, oh, you know, I feel terrible now. I feel, you know, it would have been better if he died sooner or, you know, because it's his fault and perhaps without him they wouldn't have died. Oh, good Lord. Yeah. Really very yeah. cry. So she, this poor woman, is made to feel that it's her son's fault. And so, of course, Lois, and Lois is like a tiger. You know, she's she's a poorly educated girl from the, you know, she's not, She's in the papers saying, no, 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 he's not, you know, and she's defending him. But the children get bullied at school. And I am, um, I've been in touch with, I'm in touch with Edgar's family, with his grandson, his great grandson. And his grandson says that his father, who was Ed- Edgar's son, was horribly bullied at school because all this stuff got believed, you know, that if, if it hadn't been for Edgar, maybe they'd have got... Of course they wouldn't have made it. It's, it's a nonsense. It's a nonsense that it was his fault. And it was a nonsense that they would have made it out. They would never have made it out by that point. And then you get yeah. a month... It's a month before the next person dies. That's Captain Oates. That shows the length of what they're doing, trudging back. Oates, of course, because he decides he's had enough and he's going to leave the tent and go, you know, the famous, I may, I'm going to go outside yeah. maybe sometime. He's suddenly, oh, well, look at, look at him. You know, he's this cavalry officer with the, you know, with the, with medals and he's trying to save his comrades. So you've got Edgar and you've got Oates and these Mm. two are compared. So in, in the most horrible, horrible manner, because they, you know, they, they both died in very, they both were working. Edgar was lugging a sledge full of equipment up until almost the moment he died. So absolutely awful. You get this terrible sort of class thing going on where Oates is held up as this fantastic hero and Edgar is blamed. Yeah. And, you know, I don't want to besmirch a possible relative here, but, you know, that that could be very much, I've had enough, I'm calling it now. Well, you lot could go and carry on. If you read the diaries, yes, that is exactly what's going on. It is exactly what's going on. Oates clearly had for some time been hoping that he wouldn't wake up you know he's he's mm. it's not like he was absolutely fine and just said you know what lads you know 
go without me. I mean, no, he was at the end of his tether. This was his solution. It was too, I think, I think all polio historians agree. It wouldn't say, it didn't save them. So if there was, you know, there, there was obviously an element and you can't, you can't sort of deny that it was probably quite brave, but it, yeah, he'd had enough. He's committing suicide. He's, he's had enough. Yeah. He's, he's not, he's not allowing rations to go on. They'd pretty much run out of food by exactly. that point. Exactly. It's not going to make it, you know, so it's, it's really hard, obviously, to look inside somebody's brain, isn't yes. it? But, you know, but clearly he'd had enough. Yeah. So, given the very different class backgrounds of these women and the families, after the immediate aftermath of it, he kind of, how did they get through life uh, as widows? Were they supported? You mentioned um, Kathleen remarrying. What did their life look like sort of five, ten years down the line? Well, um, she's the only one to remarry, and she doesn't do that for quite a long time, well into the 1920s. And she has another child. So she, I think she, you know, she makes the big, she decides, he he says, I mean, they, both she and Oriana are left a letter that's written. They, they, they write letters and leave. So of course, Edgar is gone. He's not able to leave anything behind because he dies and he's had to be left in the snow. Wilson, Ted Wilson and Scott die in the tent and they've got a few days where they know they're dying. That's when they're writing these letters. So Kathleen is left a letter by Scott, essentially saying, I want you to go and be happy. I don't want you to, you know, you need to live your life now. And that's what she does. And she's, she makes a decision to be happy. And so she, you know, she gets on, she carries on with her career. She becomes a very, very, very good sculptress. She has, she has another second son and she's, and she marries again. So she has probably the fullest life of all of them, I think. Mm. Um, Lois has her children. They all end up living in the same part of Swansea with their children. So again, she has a very full life, her family all around her, grandchildren, all of that. I mean, there's still the sort of figure of blame every so, you know, I think that was never really, she never managed to dispel this blame being yeah. Um, and I think Oriana's is the saddest. I think she never really, you know, without Ted, there's not much left. And she has a terrible experience where her faith was always the thing that allowed her ju- to justify it. You know, if that's what God wanted, then I have to accept it. But during the First World War, her favourite brother is killed, various other people that she's close to die, and she loses her faith. And I think that's the most tragic thing that she loses the thing, the one thing that allows her to sort of come to terms with this. So she's more of a tragic figure, I think. Doesn't really ever recover from it. Yeah. If you talk about the two sort of upper middle class ones there, that that already have an element of financial security about them before the expedition goes yeah. and through wills and people being found and things like that can, can have a level of financial security afterwards as yeah. well. Does Lois... Being a working class woman, does she have to work? Well, here's another horrible thing. <laughs> well, yeah, there's a we there's go. a there's a big, big fundraising exercise. The public say because the last, the very last thing that Scott writes is, "For God's sake, look after our people," and that he he means his families, their families. So there's a huge public reaction. We've got to raise money. We've got to help. so. I think it's about seven million in today's terms. You know, quite a lot of money is raised by this big fund. Mm. 
and the Daily Telegraph are very instrumental in this. A lot of money is raised. Um, and, and again, we have to be Edwardian again here. Rather, they didn't means test it. What they did was said, well, we've obviously got to look at rank because that's how the Edwardian world works because you've got the Navy ranks and you've got society ranks. So Kathleen gets the most because she's Scott's widow and her yeah. son Peter gets his own pot and it goes down all the way to and Lois gets the least. And of course, Lois needs the most. The most, yeah. And again, it's not done to be it's not. It's just that's the mm. Edwardian mindset. We're gonna. How do we dish this out? Oh, I know. We do it by by rank, don't we? And by importance in the organisation. So there is money, but it's not enough. So, and the trouble with with looking in a working class lives, you you know, you can't. You lose track of them. You can't find them. She's quite hard to find, Lois. In between, in the years in between, um, and I think she. I found examples. I you know because when the the. Um, census came out the 1921 census came out i think i found i'm not entirely so i'm speculating in the book and i say that i think she's but mm. i think she worked a bit i think she worked a bit and the kids certainly then start to work um there's a big steel industry in swansea and her her son start to work in that and they're all so she's not i think it's it's giving her a little bit it's giving her some protection but it's not it doesn't mean that she is financial she struggled financially for the rest of her life in the way that any one of her class at that time would. She was not a wealthy woman. It didn't, you know, it didn't sort of protect her. And there was there was a pension and there was money for the children up to about 16. Um, but she had to prove the children were still alive at regular intervals to get the money. And Kathleen were asked yeah. to do that for Peter. Yeah, different times. Different times, times. yeah. Well, thank you very much for that, because, there, yeah, there there is a much wider impact of Scott's final expedition than five guys tramp off in the snow yeah. and starve. And, and it's been it, it's been an absolute eye opener to get in and amongst that. Good. Um. So 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 thank you very much, and thank you for getting that off oh, your thank chest. You. No, it's been a real pleasure. Thank you very much. No, it's been nice to get it off my chest. Thank you. Well, if you'd like to know more about Anne's work, then you can start with the excellent book, Widows of the Ice, and we will have a link to that uh, in the show notes uh, in the History Raid bookshop, uh, along with a other book as well, which mentioned at the start, From the Mill to Monte Carlo, the working class Englishman who beat the Monaco Casino. And you can follow her on Twitter at Anne C. Fletcher. But Anne, it, is, it has been an honour and a privilege thank you. Uh, tonight. It really has. Uh, thank you very thank much. Thank you, guys. It's been great. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I do hope you've enjoyed this episode. You can follow us on Twitter at History Rage or individually. I am at Paul Baffle. And I am at Kyle G History. And if, if you're loving this, then why not join our Angry Mob on Patreon? Your £5 per month will get you early episodes ad-free, entry into all of our prize draws, the invite to put questions to future guests, and of course, the coveted History Rage mug. And you can subscribe at patreon.com forward slash History Rage. But until next week, from everybody here, stay angry. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen 
premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.